And I'm going to have you do something. I know you got coffee in your hands, you got donut in your mouth, but that's all right. You're going to make some lists. So make two lists. If you have notes, we had some note cards. Hopefully you received some notes on your way in. If not, you can always open up the app, and we have message notes on the app. And there are comment blocks, so you can take free-form notes in there and then email to yourself. That's a great way to, to keep on task. But uh, if you have some note cards, there's some white space there. I want, I want to ask you a couple questions. The first question is, is who are your role models? Now, I'm going to date myself and, and say Michael Jordan was one of my role models, okay? But, uh, so you can't steal that one. No, maybe you want that one. But take a couple seconds to think of maybe two or three names. Who are your role models? And the second question I have is, who do you call when things are going tough? Who do you call when the going gets tough? There might have two or three people you might call. So write those names down there too, please. So now I have a question for you guys. It's not one that you have to answer. Oh, yes, you do have to answer, but you don't have to write anything down. Are those two lists the same? Are the same people on both, both sides of the list? No, no, they're not. So uh, if somebody would like to volunteer, um, you don't have to tell me the names, but why are those two lists of names different for you? Is there anybody bold? Who's bold? Will. Will, you're bold. <laughs> so those two names, a list of names are different, and, and how did you choose the names? I mean, g give me a little thought process behind that. The way they carry themselves. Cool. And then person that you're going to call? Is it? It is. Good. Cool. Same here, huh? Mm-hmm. Good, good. So now that first list of people that you would consider role model, would those also be mentors in your life? Yes. Okay. All right, good. Because I, I figured that. I figured if you chose, if both lists were the same, you probably chose mentors on the role model, and then people you call would be, the, would be the same list. But for many of us, if we think of role models, we don't necessarily think of mentors. Um, although, you know what's really funny? During our teaching time uh, earlier this week, I thought of that as well, mentors. So, but when we think of role models, many times it's people that are uh, very good. They're very successful in, in whatever business they're in. Maybe it's a business person, you know, and you, maybe you're starting in business and you're looking at that person saying, wow, that's a role model for me. You know, they're a really great business person. Or maybe it's somebody uh, like an athlete. You know, I used Michael Jordan. Maybe, you know, you're a you want to be a basketball guy, you know, and, and for many of us, we're a little older, but maybe this was a dream years ago, right? You want to be, so you, man, you look at Michael Jordan or somebody in their profession. So when we think of role models, many times we think of people that are successful in whatever occupation that they have, and we admire them for that. But when we think of people that we would call when the going gets tough, it's obviously people that we have a relationship with, and more importantly, it's people that we deem that are wise. It's people that we deem that are wise. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about wisdom. 
We've been in the book of James for about two months now. This is week nine, and I'm just going to do a little bit of a recap. We've been studying this letter uh, by James, and he was a pastor in in the first century A.D., and uh, he was uh, the brother of Jesus. We've talked about that before, too. And he he didn't start believing in Jesus, though. I mean, I don't know if, if you're like me, but if my brother told me that they were the Son of God, I would have a difficult time believing that my brother was the Son of God, right? <laughs> so James has kind of had that same issue, right? He, he, he really didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but then when Jesus died and rose again and then he saw Jesus, obviously his whole life changed because then he remembered everything that Jesus was when they were growing up, right? And then he remembered the accounts of all the disciples and the different uh, miracles that were being performed. And Jesus was, he was an awesome person. And so James believed then. James became a believer and he actually was martyred for his faith. Now, he was the pastor of the first century megachurch. It was the first megachurch that we know about that's chronicled in the Bible. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote a very important document, and that's the one that we've been studying, the letter of James. And uh, he put in this document the fact that to be a Christ follower, we must put our faith into action. That's why we've entitled this series Action. That was the bottom line. Whatever James, whatever we've talked about, as far as what James has taught us, it's always about putting our faith into action. And today is, is, is very much the same. We're going to be looking at a part of James's letter where James talks about wisdom. James talks about wisdom. God wants us to be wise people. He does. He wants us to be wise people. And so James gives us quite a few verses that talk about what wisdom looks like. But before we go there, I want you to finish this sentence for me. It's not what you know, it's, I heard a lot of who you knows. (laughs) I'm not going to answer that fill in the blank yet, but that's a good answer. But I'm going to leave you guys hanging. I'm going to come back to that in a little while. But before we get into James's letter, I want to tell you a story that's found in the Old Testament in the first, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now this story is about a married couple and the woman's name is Abigail and she's wise, and her husband's name was Nabal, and Nabal thought he was wise. And if you don't know the story, you'll see what I mean here in a couple minutes. It's, we're found in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and it's mostly the whole chapter. I'm not going to read every verse. I'm going to highlight a few verses. But I want to talk to us and set up the story. Uh, this story takes place about 3,000 years ago, and uh, it's just before a young man named David became Uh, took the throne and became the king, King David, who we know. We've talked about King David uh, in the last couple months, but this was all before he took the throne. Now, David had a personal army at the time because he was being chased down and killed by the current king, which is Saul. Saul was out to get him, and so uh, he found a ragtag bunch of, of, of guys that were all out on the run. So they were kind of some rebels, some outlaws, but he had a personal army, and they had camped by this mountain uh, called Carmel. And uh, if you didn't know, in biblical times, that's where they made the Milky Way bar. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I just want to make sure you guys are paying attention with me. You're listening to what I'm saying. No. Although the Milky Way bar is a really good, a really good bar. 
But okay, so they were camped out by the mountain of Carmel. And while they were there, some sheep herders came by and, and they were you know, having their sheep graze and stuff like that. And since David's army was there, he said, hey, you know what? We'll, we'll protect you. We'll, we'll make sure that your, your sheep are, are well cared for. We'll make sure that nobody comes and tries to steal your sheep. We'll make sure that the wolves don't try to come and eat your sheep. And we'll just protect your sheep since you, you're here and we're here. It's the least we could do. So they protected their flocks and stuff, and then the shepherds went home, and they, they, they took their, their flock with them. And, and not long after that, it became shearing season. And, uh, and David and his men, he found, they found themselves traveling near the city uh, where the shepherds live. Now, this is where Nabal gets into the scene. This is where Nabal comes on the scene. Uh, because he was a wealthy landowner, land he owned a vast majority of the land that they were traveling through. And uh, he was the boss of the shepherds, in other words. And, and what we find here is that he had about 3,000 sheep. This is a lot of sheep. 1,000 goats. And the Bible says that Abigail was beautiful and sensible. So here we have Nabal who is this wealthy landowner, and we have his wife, Abigail, who is, is called Sensible. And it says that Nabal was crude and mean, and nobody liked him. I don't know if you know a couple like that or not, but you know I'm sure there's couples like that around the world. But here we have the wife is sensible, and the husband is crude and mean. So David was traveling through this uh, part of the country, and uh, he realizes he's going to need some resources out of Nabal's region. And so he's like, hey, you know what I should do is, you know, I should reach out to Nabal since we're traveling through and see if he can help us out. So I'm going to pick up the story. I'm actually going to read the story in verse 6. It says, um, he sent these words ahead to Nabal, peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. Isn't that a nice greeting? I mean, David was such a nice guy, right? Uh, I am told that it is sheep shearing time and shearing time. And while your shepherds stayed with us near Carmel, uh, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you that this is true. So would you be so kind since we have come at a time of celebration? Please send any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. And so remember I said that Nabal was mean, right? He was a mean-spirited kind of a guy. It seems like a really nice letter, though. I mean, he's just saying, hey, he's not demanding anything. He says, hey, you know what? We helped you guys out a while back. Can you help out us? You know, we just need to get through your, your, your area here. A very nice request. But in verse 10, this is what we see Nabal respond to, to David. He says, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered. It actually says sneered in the Bible to the young men that were with him. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There's lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Well, he has a lot of information here. He knew exactly who David was, by the way. And so this message gets sent back to David. Well, I don't know about you, but I think David reacted probably the way I would have reacted initially. He gets ticked off. David gets ticked off. And what he says is that he tells his troops, we got to go in and we're just going to wipe them all out. We're going to kill every last one of them. And it was not David's finest hour, I admit it, okay? It's not David's finest hour. But something really interesting 
happens here. Now, remember I talked about Abigail, right? And she's called sensible and wise in this story. And there's a reason for that because the story unfolds a little differently than you think it's going to. Verse 18 says this, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered near a bushel of roasted grain. And she's getting all of these resources because she heard through the grapevine that David was going to come with his army and take everybody out. So she's like, I got to jump into action. I got to do something here. So she is gathering all of these things. And she didn't tell Nabal what she was doing. She just did this on the side. Verse 20 says, as she was riding her donkey, and she actually is going to take all this stuff out to meet David. She saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying, and this is kind of ironic, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for my good. May God strike me and kill me if one man of his household is still alive tomorrow. So he's getting all worked up, man. David is ticked off. And David actually says, you know what? If everybody's not dead by tomorrow, may the Lord strike me down. I tell you what, he is talking about a lot of vengeance here. But when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men that you sent. So what do we see here? We see Abigail kind of standing in for Nabal, her husband, because she knows that David's just going to take everybody out. And so she's not necessarily worried for, worried for her own skin, but she's trying to protect this whole nation. Man, this is cool. It goes, she goes on to say, Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. She was even so wise as to tell David exactly what was happening because David knew that he was appointed king. He knew that he was the anointed one. And she's bringing this back to his remembrance. And then she goes on to say in verse 30, When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Man, that's powerful. She definitely saw what was going on in this situation. And she's speaking to David's common sense. She's speaking to his logic. Now listen to how David replies, and then we'll talk more about this. I'll stop reading. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out this vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her presence and told her, Return home in peace. I've heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Man, what a reversal of a situation there. What a reversal of a situation. Abigail was very wise. She understood the situation, 
and she applied wisdom to that situation, and she went out and she did something. But the end of the story, I'll just say real quick, it's, it's kind of ironic. When she goes back home, she finds Nabal drunk, and then during the middle of the night, he ends up dying. And then, and then what happens is later on, David and her end up getting married. It's kind of almost like a fairy tale ending, right? So, uh, yeah, so there's more to the story. So go ahead and read the story for yourself. It's very interesting. But here's what I want each one of us to see about Abigail. Abigail was wise. Abigail was wise. So you might ask your the question, well, how do I know that she's wise? Well, I don't know if she had a college education. I don't know what kind of experience she had, right? I don't know what her family background was. We don't learn a lot about that. But she was successful uh, because of her husband's wealth. I mean, he was a, a landowner and very wealthy, and so she had a prominent position. But how do I know that she's wise? Well, Abigail is wise because of her actions. Abigail is wise because of what she did. So let's have that thought in our minds as we go to James. So follow me now, going to James. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to be reading through verses 13 to 18, and we're going to be creating a couple lists. So you have some area on your notes to take a list, but let's wait until we get through all of the verses, and then we'll, we'll jot down the lists all together. It's going to be popping up on the different screens. So James 3.13 starts out as like this. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. That's the first one. Prove it by living an honorable life. That's what Abigail did. Wow, that was, that was amazing. Doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. She was humble. She humbled herself because she knew that she needed to get David's attention. She knew she needed to diffuse the situation for a moment, that he was pretty ticked off. And so what she did is she came with humility. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up with the truth, with boasting and lying. And so on that list, we see Nabal all over the place. We don't know a lot about him, but from what we read in this account, Bitterly jealous, selfishly ambitious, boasting and lying. Verse 15, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's a powerful word that James throws in there. And we, we understand earthly, we understand unspiritual. But he says that this type of wisdom is demonic. That's powerful. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and, and evil of every kind. But then we see the contrast, and then he says, but. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. That's exactly what Abigail did. That's a classic definition of wisdom right there. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. We've talked about good works. We've talked about deeds before as we've studied James. And here it comes back once again, being part and associated with wisdom. 
It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So that's the list. The last verse that we're going to end with is, is huge. And, and this is why we chose the story of Abigail. Verse 18, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. God bless you. Reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that what Abigail did? She was a peacemaker. She was wise. She was humble. She went and did something. She put her knowledge into action. She found out what was going on, and she went, and she caught David on the road. Man, she reaped a harvest of righteousness, and so did the whole country. So now take time to fill in. I mean, this is your demonic list of, of wisdom, bitterly jealous, selfish ambition, boasting, lying, disorderly, evil of every kind. And then over here, we have God's wisdom, which is honorable, good, humble or meek, pure, peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield, merciful, fruitful, doesn't show favoritism and is sincere. James really wanted us to understand God's wisdom, did he not? Man, he paints a beautiful picture of what it is to be wise. So now I'm going to get back to the definition we talked about earlier. Wisdom. Wisdom, it's not what you know, it's what you do. It's not what you know, it's what you do. Many times we think that, you know, wise people are smart people, right? Wow, he's so smart and wise. No, that's not it at all. I know a lot of smart people that do dumb things. A lot of smart people do dumb things. Wise people, however, they act wisely. Wise people act wisely. Wisdom is taking what you know and doing something good with it. It's applying that knowledge and then doing something just like Abigail did just like Abigail did. So now look at the, the list over here, the demonic wisdom list. Do you see a principle here? This is self-focused, and it's ultimately self-destructive. But the wisdom over here on the right side, or, yeah, on the right side, <laughs> got to turn around for a minute, it's others-focused. It bears good fruit in your life for you and for everybody else, just like the Abigail example. It bears fruit for you and for everybody else. I want to read James 3.18 one more time. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Man, if you think of the fields during harvest time, there is so much grain out there. There is just so much that they have to harvest every year. That's what we're talking about. We're talking fields and fields and fields of reaping a harvest of righteousness. It's not what you know. It's what you do that makes you wise. That's our big idea for today. It's not what you know. It's what you do that makes you wise. 
We like to always end our teaching time with a Jesus story. And, and when we were thinking about this this week, my mind went to, what did Jesus say about a wise man? You know, Jesus said a wise man will build his house on the rock and not on the sand. I mean, he probably said more, thing about, more things about wisdom, but that's the first thing I thought of. In the process of building, I'm not a builder by any stretch of imagination, but I know a little bit about it. You know, construction workers take a lot of time building the foundation. You know, I, you may not know this, but Bozeman is going through a building thing, and it took them weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks <laughs> to build that foundation. Because you need to make sure that you have a sure foundation before you build anything else on top of it. That's the process of construction and building, making sure that foundation is firm and strong. It's wise to make sure that you have that sure foundation. Jesus is that foundation. Jesus is that foundation. If you choose to build your life on Jesus, it will be the wisest decision that you make. Last week I talked about here on planet Earth. I like that because it's a huge planet. And Jesus died for everyone on this whole planet all the billions of people. He chose to go to the cross and die for me and for you. We like to make it personal, but I like to think of it sometimes as globally. Man, that's powerful. He died for everybody. And so when we're talking about wisdom, Jesus obviously was very wise. But when we're talking about wisdom in our lives here this morning, the wisest decision that you can make is to build your life on Jesus as your foundation. I'd like you to grab your connection cards. This is the time where I'd like to go through the next steps real quick before we pray. If you don't have a connection card, there's some available in the back. Gene has some available there. The first one that, that we talk about every week is the first check mark is I'm going to begin following Jesus today. Like I made mention, it's the wisest thing that you will ever do in your life. Number two there, I'm going to start doing wise things and stop doing foolish things. Boy, I think that's why everyone, we can all check that one, right? I know there are some times I do some really foolish things. But it's a commitment to really consider what James is telling us about today. Man, I love the fact that he mentions that it's demonic wisdom and he lists that list of things that are just not wise. The third one there says, I want to grow in wisdom. You know, there's a couple things we have here, a little bit of homework. If you read Proverbs, that's called like the whiz, part of the wisdom chapters in the Bible. You know, there's 31 of them, so you can read a proverb a day. You know, I know I've done that over the course of my Christian time. I've done that for month after month, is just read a proverb a day. I know there's a lot of pastors that make that something that they just incorporate into their lives each and every day. It's awesome. But if you want to grow in wisdom, read Proverbs. Then the second thing I have down here, if you want to grow in wisdom, memorize that list from James 3. If you didn't have an opportunity to write the list down, it's in your Bible. So you can go home and write that list down and post it on the mirror if you want to grow in wisdom. So we're going to give you a few minutes to consider that and write some things down. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. Uh, on your notes, the, those check marks are on your notes as well. 
so you can check your connection card and your notes as far as your next steps. All right. I want to make this a time of prayer now. Maybe you check that you want to start this relationship with Jesus today. That's where I want to start with our prayer time. So let's bow in prayer. Father God, I think of those people uh, this morning, Lord, that maybe are checking that for the first time. Or, or maybe it's a recommitment, a reconnection, Lord. God, I pray for them right now. And if that's you, if, if you've checked that, that check mark, I just pray that you would pray with me as I pray to the Lord. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. And I thank you that he is the bridge between me and you. Jesus came, died, and rose again so that I might have new life. And so I pray that you would take my sins away from me. Change me from the inside out, God. And use your Holy Spirit to guide my future steps. I thank you so much, Jesus, for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.